Hey, my name is Sean Patrick Thomas. You might know me from Save the Last Dance or from the Barbershop franchise, but you might also know me from my role as Alan Townsend on Reaper. And you are listening to the Dead TV Podcast. TV podcast, podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and horror comedy genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. I'm Mr. Seneca. And we're continuing our coverage of the horror comedy Reaper with season two. But before we get to that, I'm on vacation. Mr. Seneca has been like this major movie guru person over at the <laughs> uh, drive-in that she's uh, always helping out at. The Mahoning Drive-In Theater. Yeah, it's been really amazing working with the drive-in. I was playing Mary Poppins for their Mary Poppins and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang event. Did the Wizard of Oz thing for their start. We went to the Mad Max event there. We're doing a lot. You know, right now we're designing a Xenomorph for the Aliens event. Oh, that's awesome. I don't live anywhere near Pennsylvania to drive all the way out there for it. But why don't you hire like that high school did the alien production to do like a shadow cast for an alien. That would be awesome. That would. <laughs> I don't have that type of pull with the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. My power ends at the decor. So we're doing the decor. My partner, Jason, had made uh, two alien eggs for the alien event. And now since they're going to show aliens as a follow-up, we're building a xenomorph out of cardboard. You be you people have a movie called Alien. Do you know how offensive that is? No wonder you're always being invaded. Quote the doctor from <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> 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 that was the Peter Capaldi doctor who gets extremely offended by the fact that there is a movie called Alien. Ah. <laughs> the Mahoning is just it's just my happy place. And right now I'm organizing a group field trip for everyone in Philadelphia to go see Al Pacino's Cruising up on the big screen, 35 millimeter actual film, uh. a very controversial movie, but they are showing it August 9th, Tuesday, August 9th. And the new dungeon that I am sponsoring will be opening also on that same day. Oh, and wow. that, dungeon, that dungeon is only a 15 minute drive from my favorite drive-in. So this field trip is... Come to the dungeon, take the tour, go to the movie and see cruising, get a little amped up a bit, and then come back to the dungeon for a little bit of a play in whatever manner you want that to be. It's going to be exciting. Cool. This week, I'm going to go to uh, Edward Gorey's house. So today, this episode actually should post. Yes. Yes. This episode will post on Friday, June 3rd, 2022. I'll go to Edward Gorey's house. On Friday, I'm going to go see Crimes of Humanity, the new David Cronenberg movie. Oh, I can't wait to see that one. And then on Friday, I'm seeing a movie, a new horror movie called Watcher. It's about a serial killer stalker. Oh, nice. 
Yes, I don't know who's in that, but the I don't know who's in the Cronenberg movie either. But the Cronenberg movie, I saw the trailer for him, and I was like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I heard some people walked out of that one because of how disgusting it is. Maybe I'm not oh, sure. Oh well, that's their problem. That, that just makes me want to watch it even more. <laughs> Probably, but we will now jump into episode three of Reaper. Reaper season two, episode three. The Sweet Science, originally aired March 17th, 2009. Sam must capture a former boxer by using boxing gloves as a vessel. I'm not a big boxing fan. I'm just not a big fan of this episode. <laughs> I, I really liked it. I love boxing. I have several sets of boxing gloves and accoutrement, and it is my favorite type of workout to do. I just can't find people to spar with me. Oh. <laughs> The vessel for this episode is a pair of boxing gloves that he needs to hit Red on the chin in order to actually capture him. Ben is now dating Nina. Yes, the demon that kidnapped him. Yes, she is very hot when she's in her human form. I wouldn't touch her with the 10-foot pole in her demonic form. (laughs) I would. I would. Uh, Nope. (laughs) (laughs) The boxer is played by Eric Palladino. I forgot he was on ER for like a hot minute. That's where I knew him from. I was like, where the hell did I know this guy? Yeah, he was on ER for like a hot minute. Now, currently, he's on NCIS and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I've never seen before. I haven't watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but I did recognize him from Six. Ah. I thought the soul looked like Tom Hardy, and I mentioned that to you before, just because I looked at photos of Tom Hardy and him, and they do have some similarities. Yeah, but... Everyone with that type of profile can't just be like Tom Hardy. You know, Eric Palladino is very unique in his look, I think. He's got a very stern look, which is why he's cast in a lot of cop dramas and medical professional dramas. So I think he was very unique. I told you that he does not look anything like Tom Hardy. He seems to get like several episodes here and there. But and he's done the comic book things like on Arrow and Designated Survivor. Oh, he was on Watchmen, another comic book themed show. Andy becomes the manager of the store. It came as a big surprise to everyone. She was not allowed to talk about it until it happened. And we also find out that Sock has an alternate identity. He is also Les Nesman. Yeah, you know, because this is a television show, they don't really tell what crime he's actually doing. But this is embezzlement. And this would be considered a high crime because it's over $10,000. And so he would definitely be going away to prison for at least 10 years for this. Wait, creating another identity and having it work at the store, but not actually working there. Besides that being immorally bad at the store, that's illegal too? Yes. Oh, for, For one, in order to make a different identity to collect an income from he would have had to forge legal documentation for a w-4 which would be fraud of of the highest sense he is then embezzling money from the company because this person doesn't exist like this would be a serious crime that shouldn't actually have gone just swept under the rug I like how you're covering all these things that I don't think the writers of the show covered because I do not remember them being brought up between Andy and Sock at all. (laughs) No, legal action was never brought up at all. No, but this whole, like, you know, going to get the false social security number and everything else 
it never <laughs> that's never even brought up as like uh, how did you even do this and collect a paycheck how did you create another social security number at the you know things like that how did you create another how did you get this past hr the questions you're asking andy never brings up no not at all no at you're all. a better writer than the writers of the show which would have made for a more <laughs> hilarious thing if sock actually had a better explanation behind the whole thing or if you're going to tell me that he got good with gladys and she did it then that would have made more sense. I, I don't think Gladys would have. She's a government ha- agent. She would have she, access she's to. She's in the DMV. Uh, right. But she would still have access to things like maybe the social security network. Cause you have to register your social security number with your driver's license and car. So who's to say that she wouldn't have access to the other files that you or I don't have access to. Right. I don't think a DMV worker would have those types of files. And besides that, the IRS would be particularly interested in this because if he had a social security number to use of Les Nesbitt, that is also identity theft. We're also talking about a show where a guy works for the devil. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm being too literal. That's my issue. I'm very devil literal with things. A sobriety AA meeting is the next note I have. <laughs> because yeah, of course he does. Yeah, the devil is advising alcoholics and... <laughs> And his advice is to go out and buy your favorite drink and then leave it. And only one person manages to do that and comes back to the the, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. When that happens, the devil just says, you're cured, and hands him a bottle of liquor. He is totally tempting everyone. He is such an asshole. (laughs) But he's the devil, so... True. And the next meeting was the sexaholics meeting. And he says it gets quite messy. So I'm kind of curious what type of orgies those meetings turn into. And can I be invited? Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> he stabs the hamburger across the table like a psychopath. Andy figures out Nesman is Sock. And Sock, of course, gets her accused of sexual harassment in the workplace. And that is also something that is illegal because he would then be impersonating Les Nesmond, uh, accusing Andy of sexual harassment, which almost got her fired. I'm not sure why she would continue to be Sock's friend after this. This is like serious stuff. Right. But it's a show. And of course, they won't stop being friends. Sam knew Sock was a fake employee, too, and never told Andy. It's not help his relationship with her, but whatever. She doesn't dump him, but still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those things that uh, he probably did since he's been doing this two years before they were together. Right. But, you know, bros before hoes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's my explanation why he didn't tell her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just wanted them to work it out themselves. <laughs> the reason why I read is... Um, you know, a lousy boxer, and a, you know, I guess a piece of shit in the boxing community, is because the devil made him throw the fight, his, his big fight years ago. Yeah, so the full name of Red is Michael Red Sabatino, and in the 1950s, he threw a fight by taking a $47,000 payout offered by the devil, which he didn't realize it was offered by the devil. He was then disgraced in the industry. So Red Sabatino's goal is to win the title championship. He thinks that by winning the championship, it will redeem him that he's not just a piece of shit that threw a fight, that he actually has value. And to do so, he'll need to win seven fights. Yikes. But the devil says he can't even fight his first one in Vegas. Sam needs to stop him. 
Sam can... won't last five more minutes in the round with this guy. No, no, he, he can't even last a full round. He takes a beating, though. I have to say, you know, he gets in that ring a few times, and those punches were not easy. <laughs> so after Sam gloriously gets defeated in his first battle with the boxer, they train by Sock and Ben hitting him with baseballs from pitching machines. The song that's actually played there is Broken Glass by Buck Cherry. Here's a clip. scene actually just reminded me of the movie Dodgeball. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. What? When he does defeat Red, you know, and the devil wants to buy everyone the round, he's like, no, your money's not good here, you piece of shit. In earlier episodes, Sam's let him buy him a drink. This time it's not okay. I don't get that. It's There's some consistency problems in the writing regarding like Sam and the devil's relationship. It doesn't feel like there's any character growth in their relationship. You know, one minute Sam is like, I don't want to hang out with you. And the next moment he is, and it's not just to move the plot along in the episode to get something he needs from the devil. It's like an end of the episode thing between him and the devil hanging out and just having a laugh. You know what I mean? It's just never consistent. I think it actually has to do with Sam's attitude towards what he just witnessed with the soul. So in this episode, he witnesses that the boxer was offered $47,000 from the devil, and he wouldn't have been sent to hell if he hadn't taken that payout. Right. So because of that, the opinion that Sam has on the devil is like, no, I'm not taking anything from you because it'll just cause trouble later on. And sometimes it's softer and because the devil helps him or, you know, is a better guy. And so therefore he'll take the drink. Right. Uh, before we get there, by the way, Andy kills Les Desmond. <laughs> yeah. To, to get rid of this fake identity. Yeah. But then Sock is up collecting all of the money. It's just like, she doesn't want to give $5. That's all you can give Mrs. Mrs. Store manager. She should be making like a hundred thousand dollars a year at this point. Store managers get paid serious freaking money, especially at a store that large. I have no idea. Yeah, seriously. Like a store that big, store managers make close to $100,000 a year. Nice. Yeah, for a store that big, too. I don't know about small department stores or retail stores in the mall. I've never investigated it, but I've investigated stores like this, like Target and Walmart. Yeah, store managers make $100,000 a year, possibly. Sam points out the devil did something good for once. Aw. Yeah, at the, at the end of the episode, because the devil said that Either of you are going to either go to hell or die. He doesn't care which one. Yeah, he's also the first soul in a while that's not a complete piece of shit and you kind of love and wish he didn't have to go back to hell. But in the very end, he helps uh, Sam by throwing the fight so he could throw the fight to help someone else. Now he's throwing it for something good to save Sam. So in essence, the devil was doing good by allowing the boxer to have his redemption. And if we were in my whole headcanon thing, this redemption would be enough to kind of prove himself and get out of hell. 
make good in the eyes of God. I, yes. I, you know, for doing good in my own head canon. <laughs> Les Nesmond, by the way, this, this is not to say that Reaper's in the same continuity as it, but Les Nesmond was the manager of WKRP in Cincinnati, which was a TV show from 78 to 82. Yeah, it was played by Richard Sanders for the entire run of the show, except for one episode. Some people, some of the main cast have like one episode missing, some don't. It's weird. Oh, yes. I remember that show. That was a great show. Well, Les Nesman is dead and he died on the toilet in this episode. Yeah, just like Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> also featured in this episode are the songs She Gets It, She Gets It Good, performed by Michelle Weiss Maslin. And Mr. Kicks by Oscar Brown Jr. Here's a clip. Permit me to introduce myself. The name is Mr. Kicks. I dwell in a dark dominion away down by the river Styx. The devil has sent me here because I'm full of wicked tricks. And I'm such a popular fellow among all you lunatics. A course in ruination from the devil's text To fools who can't withstand temptation Step right up your next I hail from a hot old hellhole down along the river sticks Allow me to introduce myself The name is Mr. Kicks I was a cop was raised. I caught the guy who did it, and I killed him. Two months later, I died. I went to hell. 113 of the most vile creatures escaped. They think they'll beat the devil. Nobody beats me. So how am I supposed to send them back? The eyes, windows to the soul. Destroy the eyes and the damned get a one-way ticket back home to hell. But it's not hell you should be scared of. It's losing your second chance in life on Earth. I'm trying to give the devil his due. It's Brimstone, Episode 8, Ashes, originally aired December 18th, 1998. Hi, I'm Ezekiel Stone. After my soul revelation, bits and pieces kept springing up in my dreams. Or should I call them nightmares? Visions of ritual sacrifice and my own memories combined. It was really hard to keep track of what was what. The devil watching over me as I slept didn't really make it any easier. He was watching me like a TV show. What a weirdo. My next case had everything to do with my dreams, and a little more than I bargained for. Across the city, places of worship were being torched. Inside each burned-out church or synagogue were daggers with ancient writing on them. The same ritualistic daggers from my nightmares. The police wanted to label these crimes as Nazi anti-Semitic. I knew it was something bigger. Rabbi Weisberg translated the inscriptions as text from an ancient pagan ritual to a serpent god. Funny thing, though. It was the same 4,000-year-old Canaanite language that Hasdrubal Scaris's people spoke. If I was dealing with more warriors like him, I could have kissed my ass goodbye. <laughs> my old friend Jimmy G from Jimmy G's World of War gave me some info on who could craft such a blade. 
His info led me to a neo-Nazi scumbag. When he wouldn't give me the info, I broke into his workshop. Detective Ash caught me there. She even used their computer to grab some info. She typed like an expert in their system. It would have been suspicious if I knew more about computers at the time, but I didn't, so I was a total noob. I shot the computer to destroy the Nazi asshole's business, even though that turned out to be a little overkill on my part. We went out for drinks afterwards, and there was this moment, this really good moment. She smelled like frankincense and leather. It was intoxicating. We danced to a Phil Collins song, and I held her close. And for a brief minute, I felt her love, and it scared me. We went to find the pup together, an arsonist named Lee Varner. When we traced him down, he was surrounded by gas cans and supplies. Total arsonist caught red-handed. Nearly got Detective Ash set on fire, too, but my coat took the brunt of the attack. I still miss that coat. It was my favorite one. In custody, Lee Varna displayed some supernatural powers, putting a guard into a trance and unlocking the jail door to escape. I caught up to him at a mosque, literally chanting and spreading gas everywhere. But he couldn't be my soul because this guy bled. He and the neo-Nazi jerk were human pawns. Detective Ash figured out that I was dead. I thought giving her roses would smooth things over, and it did. Even got a bit hot and heavy in the car. But things abruptly stopped when she saw my tattoos. She told me later that she was freaked out when she saw her name symbol tattooed on my skin. I was completely blindsided when she showed me who she really was. Ash was a 4,000-year-old high priestess who sacrificed her daughter to her god, but the Christian god Yahweh sent her to hell for it. I had never seen proof of another god before, but there it was. With a few words, she brought smoke and godly power out. Her hair turned raven black, and her eyes turned into serpent-like eyes. She was still so beautiful. I sympathized with her plight, I really did. So I couldn't shoot her. It had never occurred to me that the power of the other gods was real, or deserved consideration. I let her go. I stayed in the mosque for a while, contemplating what all this meant. The devil was scared of her, so that's why he chose this time period for me to bounty hunt in. She was the ringleader of the breakout from hell. Did she convince God that his judgments were unfair? Or was it her serpent gods that did that? The devil seemed to want to send her back to hell because she disturbs the order that his beloved God had made. The devil's love makes him enforce God's rules, and my love allows for change. Did God's love finally bestow forgiveness on all the gods and peoples he crushed to become the dominant god force? Even now, years later, I don't have all the answers. In the role of Rabbi Samuel Weisberg is Wayne Pierre. He's a Louisiana native and started his career on one episode of a show we're going to cover soon, Alien Nation. He was on the episode 15 with Wanda as Thor. He also starred in the Alien Nation movie, The Enemy Within. He's had a long career appearing on Friends, ER, Murder, She Wrote, Star Trek Voyager, That 70s Show, Dawson's Creek, and NYPD Blue, among others. In recent years, you can see him on Cloak and Dagger as Peter Scarborough and Your Honor as Johnny Xander. 
He wrote and directed a short called Kink in 2009. I'm going to have to hunt that one down for my own personal curiosity. The neo-Nazi asshole Robert Bush was played by Mark Pellegrino. I recognized him immediately since he played one of the thugs from The Big Lebowski, but he might be best well-known for playing Lucifer on Supernatural. He's pretty tight with the Supernatural fandom, too. Dr. Chris would totally geek out over him. He's had a good number of extended roles on various TV shows, such as the role of James Bishop on Being Human, as Jeremy Baker on Revolution, Jacob on Lost, and as Paul Bennett on Dexter. He plays a lot of villains. As the neo-Nazi in this episode, he was very easy to hate. He gave a Nazi salute. Just makes you want to knee him in the balls for that. Great actor. In the role of the arsonist, Lee Varner, is Michael Bowen. If you're a Tarantino fan, then you might remember him from Kill Bill, where he played Buck. Who can forget this gem of a line? I'm from Huntsville, Texas. My name is Buck, and I'm here to fuck. <laughs> Your name is Buck, right? And you came here to fuck, right? Michael Bowen was also in the show Lost as Danny Pickett and on Breaking Bad as Uncle Jack. This episode was certainly interesting as we find out about why the breakout from hell happened, but it didn't really explain much and the plot was really weak. It brings up more questions than answers, truly. The reason given for why the churches were being set on fire was pretty lame as if somehow people would turn their backs on God because a church was burned. With how powerful and popular the Christian God is, how does arson shake a follower's beliefs? For what purpose was the sacrificial ritual? Was it to bring about the serpent God, strengthen this reality? What was really up with all those daggers? How did she pull off getting out of hell in the first place? And how did she acclimate herself to technology so fast when Ezekiel can't manage it? Why was Ezekiel dreaming of this case anyway, since he never had precognition of any other cases? Detective Ash is set up to be a love interest, but she's also a soul to capture. Okay, I can get that. But also making her some sort of divine baddie just isn't a strong plot device. For my headcanon, I can work her in because she's a victim of God's judgments and can earn a redemption. Ezekiel's role in her life is someone that she both loves and struggles against. He's doing his job at eliminating dangerous souls from this earthly plane and also providing moments for the damned souls to earn their redemption. Like with the boxer Red Sabatino or the Nazi Martin Benedict. A punishment is meaningless unless it ends. And if God realizes that, then hell would eventually cease to exist once every soul has learned the lesson that their punishment was meant to teach. And if the Christian Yahweh God was a benevolent God, then the punishments for disobedient angels and rival gods would also need to end. So eventually, the most disobedient angel of them all, the devil, would come to an understanding with God and be forgiven. And it is in my headcanon that Sam slash Ezekiel, as the son of the devil, is here to provide that moment of redemption. Eventually. And thus, the apocalypse begins. Good night. And we're back with the next episode, The Favorite, here on the Dead TV Podcast. 
Season 2, Episode 4, The Favorite, originally aired March 24th, 2009. Satan pairs a reluctant Sam with Morgan, another one of the devil's offspring, to help capture an escaped soul who has a legion of gold-made beetles to do his bidding. However, Sam and Morgan do not get along at all because of the soulless Morgan's antics. Meanwhile, Andy discovers that Sock is subcontracting his workbench shifts to ex-manager Ted. Ben becomes uncertain over where his romance with the demon Nina will lead. And Sam finally learns that his father is not dead. He's undead. Da-da-da. We also feature the return of one of the most beautiful women on the show, Erica Tamora. She's back as Sock's stepsister. Also, where is Sam's brother? That's a good question. Where is he? He has not been on the show at all. <laughs> Except just... for the first episode, first couple of episodes he's in, complaining that, oh, Sam gets to live here room and board rent-free, and I'm going to college trying to make something of my life. Right? <laughs> yeah. How old was his brother anyway? Uh, probably. Oh, so Sam had to be turned 21 in order to become the devil's bounty hunter. His brother was probably 18. Okay, well, we can possibly assume that he went off to college at a distant location. Right, so he's like, if you watch Superman and Lois, Lana Lang has a daughter that they don't know how to write on the show because it was like, what's the point? You already have one girl dating one of the Superboys of, of Lois and Clark. Why do you need another daughter? And, she, and the joke on another podcast I listen to all the time is, Oh, she's in like juvie for drug use and other horrible crimes that an eight-year-old would commit. Oh, she's out of juvie this episode. Look, here she's it. She is in the background with one line. Because <laughs> that's the running joke of where this character is. Because she's on and off the show. Maybe because the actress playing her is probably like ten years old, and they can't get her for that long. Whereas all the other teenagers on the show are probably eighteen at least, hmm. so they could work them seventeen hours a day. Yeah. The soul of the episode is played by an actor I have seen in like a thousand things. And I most notably remember him as the hypnotist from the episode of the X-Files, Jose Chung from Outer Space. Huh. He is the guy that hypnotizes the couple into figuring out what the hell the story is behind their abduction. Scully is being interviewed by this uh, famous author about an X-Files case. The actor's name is Alex Dacon, who's a Canadian. Yeah, and he's been like a creature and stuff as well. There's a great photo of him uh, from an episode of Andromeda, which was an old sci-fi show in syndication starring uh, Kevin, um, oh, the actor who played Hercules. Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo, thank you, who I did meet one time. Nice guy. Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. He's a deckhand as well. So he's been in tons of stuff, but he was like apparently five different characters on the X-Files, by the way. Isn't that weird? Oh, bit roles i suppose yeah just funny that they keep bringing them back to play different people on the x-files this is like one of those things that somebody puts on imdb for trivia the soul to be captured in the episode is a shipping magnate who swallowed his fortune rather than share it is named after the ss edmund fitzgerald which is the name of the character the edmund fitzgerald was a great lakes freighter which sank on november 10th 1975 during a storm on lake superior and was commemorated in the 1976 hit song Gordon Lightfoot titled The Wreck of Edmund Fitzgerald. Well, this Edmund Fitzgerald is extremely greedy, and that's why he went to, to hell. He also looks like the Reaper from Supernatural in the first episode they've ever encountered a Reaper before. So he looks exactly like this character. I almost thought it was him. He's very creepy looking. 
really? very creepy looking with or without makeup. Yes. <laughs> Poor <laughs> Alex. But hey, it's done him work for many years, including on like Sabrina. So, <laughs> and he's still alive today, born in 1946. So he's still working it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Our second son of the devil, Morgan, is played by Army Hammer. Yes. He is adorable. Yes, Army Hammer is best known for playing the twins in the social network. I never saw that one, but yes. I have seen him in the recent movie Death on the Nile. Yes, I did he not watch awesome that yet, but I he, want to. It was actually a really good movie. He was awesome in that. He was also uh, the Lone Ranger in the not terrible Lone Ranger movie. But it's bad because Johnny Depp was cast as Tonto in it. Oh, yeah, that one. Yes, the movie itself is not terrible, but he is very famous for something this year. Oh, Vanity Fear's article, May 2021 issue, had him on the cover, The Fall of Army Hammer, a family saga of sex, money, drugs, and betrayal. And it is a polarizing, career-destroying article, by the way. Wow. Yes. Like, I, I, I need to read that one. Not great. He'd already filmed the movie that you're talking about um, yeah. prior, so that's why it came out. But I do not believe we are going to be seeing Army Hammer in many things ever again. This is like, what's something about you that you probably mentioned on this podcast before people would find shocking? Uh, something to do with the dead. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm a necrophiliac. <laughs> well, you need to read this article by Vanity Fair about Army Hammer, too, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, that that type of thing? Okay. A glimpse into the family history reveals how shocking allegations over dark fantasies of cannibalism and bondage. <laughs> well, I mean, fantasy is fantasy. You know, I've never done anything but, in a real purse. Let's face it. We're on a podcast and we're a couple of nobodies. He is a big Hollywood star. That yeah. is damaging. <laughs> well, you know, there is a line of reality. You know, if if you fantasize about something, that is one thing. If you do it, that is something different. You know, I have never done anything. In but... 10 years, Mr. Seneca, I'm going to come out with all my secrets so I can run for politics and just be like, I'm going to reveal every stupid, bad, terribly asinine, horribly stupid, possibly racist, possibly sexist thing I ever did or said that I may or may not done intentionally. So that way it's out in the open and you can't get in front of me. Not you specifically, Mr. Seneca, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I don't think you have very dark skeletons in your closet i've stolen things mr seneca i used to steal things when i was a kid that's super benign like come on give me something dirty here um see you can't even think about it on a date with a woman because i thought she was unattractive and didn't have the balls to tell her that that nothing okay well then i don't know should I go into description of what I thought was unattractive? Would that just make me sound worse? No, no, that, that just makes you an asshole. But oh. hey, hey, listen, I, I listen to plenty of podcasts where women describe how terrible looking guys are. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on. But Artie Hammer is so swarmy in this episode. He reminds me very much of like the performance in The Social Network, which was a David Fincher directed movie. He only started his career in 2005. So yeah, that's not a very long career. Yeah, so it's very unfortunate. The Man from Uncle, by the way, is a great movie he's in. I highly recommend watching that. If you've never watched the TV show or did watch the TV show, a lot of people who like the TV show love it. Okay. 
but he's here for a few episodes, so we're going to have to get used to him. <laughs> he, he is beautiful to look at, and the character Morgan is quite charming. And yes. it seems that the things that he says are genuine. He's not sarcastic. He's not really belittling to Sam. He's very genuine with what he says, but he just gets people to just give him things with his personality. He's also a staple of the CW, by the way, or the WB, because he got to start on Veronica Mars and Gossip Girl. Yeah, he was doing Gossip Girl at the same time as Reaper. Interesting. Moving on from Arnie Hammer. Um, I hate the character of Morgan. He's in it for five episodes. I, I swear to God, this is, again, the devil just being a complete and utter dickhole. And Ray plays it up very well. The fact that it's just like, this is my favorite son. Because he gets into trouble. And he does all the things that you're supposed to do being the son of the devil. Whereas Sam is the goody two-shoes and doesn't want to be the son of the devil. He doesn't want anything to do with the devil. That's why the devil is so hard on Sam because he's trying to push him to the dark side. This is like the emperor in Star Wars. Yeah, the devil says, I'm always going to like him more than you. Right. The devil loves Morgan's relative morality and his selfishness. But he thinks of Sam, for all your whining and complaining, you always get the job done. You want to do the right thing. I hate that about you. If Morgan and Sam were just combined into one person, that would be the best son of the devil ever. Someone that can take over his throne of hell. Because Sam does not want it, and Morgan does. Morgan doesn't have any sort of feelings towards anyone. Yeah, definitely. Ted is back and working for Sock. <laughs> yeah, Ted is just wants to be at the workbench so bad that he agrees to take a portion of Sock's paycheck, pretty much, in order to do all of Sock's shifts in secret, covertly. You know, don't let Andy catch you. <laughs> oh, boy. The soul Edmund Fitzgerald is really super creepy because he swallowed his gold to prevent anyone else from getting it when he died. Whoa. Did you and ever swallow he... coins when you were a kid? No. no. You never did that? Like, ever? No. Like, try just to see what a coin would taste like? No. I mean, I, I put them in swallowed... my mouth, but I didn't swallow them. You did what? I put them in my mouth, but I didn't swallow them. Oh, I, uh, I swallowed two pennies when I was a kid. Are you sure they're still not there? Um, I did not look afterwards, let's just say. <laughs> okay. Uh, but no, I did swallow two coins. Um, would not recommend it. In this episode, the soul coughs up these gold coins, and it the sound that it makes is kind of, ugh. And then the coins turn into these gold beetles that end up just swarming and then crawling into someone's ear to kill them. Okay, so 10 years later, on a television show budget on the CW, the, the CGI of that entire sequence looks as bad as it did in the first Mummy movie starring Brendan Fraser in 1999. Do you remember the Beatles being, like, chipped off the sarcophagus of the Yeah. Internet? They looked like coins until they fall to the ground, then they transform into... The Scarab. The Scarab, yeah. They, they, looked, they, they reminded me exactly of that entire thing. Yeah, I, I totally see that now. Yeah. So the soul just wants to acquire all of his stuff back. He's got thousands of things, and he keeps them in this storage container. The first item that they try to acquire is a painting of the guy, which looks just as creepy as the guy dead. Yeah, do they expect it to be kind of like a Dorian Gray kind of situation? <laughs> he sees his painting, and then so. he, 
I don't think you know, so. I think he just wanted his paintings back. Oh, well, I just, I thought maybe they captured the paintings because they, what was the vessel catcher in this episode? The vessel was a dagger. The dagger. Okay. So I thought maybe the Dorian Gray, something happened Dorian Gray style. The story of Dorian Gray, for anyone not familiar, is if he sees the painting of himself, he like turns old, right? Isn't that the story? No, no. It, it, the story of Dorian Gray, the painting ages and he does not. So if oh, anything right. happens okay. to the painting, if anything happens to the painting, then he would suffer the repercussions. Got it. Got it. Okay. Gladys returns in this episode. Yeah, Ben is really twisted up this episode. Like he is really in a in a bad way about the idea that he can't sexually satisfy Nina. Yeah, he needs to get over that. Yeah, it, he's really twisted the entire episode. He just is stuck on this idea. Does she want an asexual relationship? Is that what it is? No, no, she has sex with them, but Oh, they have had sex. Okay. Yeah, it's just not as satisfying. I mean, and, to be honest with you, I was with somebody who, if she didn't get her orgasm, she seemed really pissed or whatever, and didn't seem like it was directed necessarily at me. Like, previous relationships had not been as outputting for her, if you get my meaning. Mm. So, the frustration was definitely directed at me, you know, even though I had previously accomplished end goal <laughs> yeah end game had been achieved let's just let's just say so i, well, I had the, built up my credibility <laughs> the job is not done until both people get their cookies i mean sometimes there are things that don't allow that to happen medications positions uh stress you know there's a lot of factors why somebody can't do it and you kind of think you need to go into it in the beginning before you start having sex with your partner to make them remember that it's the more them than you if that's the case well not entirely because if they can satisfy themselves then the sexual experience should go to a mutual masturbation activity so you still are engaged and and with them present and hot talk and all of that until they're able to actually bring themselves to climax so it's, you're engaged until they get their cookies mm. Okay. Yeah. So Morgan stole one of the rings from Fitzgerald, and that brings the soul right on top of him. And Sam has to save him, and, and basically all of the little gold beetles turn back into coins like it was a Sonic game. Uh, yeah, they, they make that kind of sound, and uh, they argue over who's going to get them. They think they should share them, and the freaking devil gives them the to Morgan. Morgan anyway, which is like, what the fuck, dude? You don't need Sam. You have your, you know, poster boy right here. But he, he finds out Andy needs to make a delivery to his mother's house. And when he arrives, he finds out his dad is still alive, which we did learn in the final episode of season one. Yeah, yeah. And so it's the freezer for undead dad. Yes, this becomes a, a plot through the show of zombie dad. Um, don't know why there's like enough well, I mean, going he, on on this show that he, we don't need to now have the zombie dad popping up well it is the final repercussion of that deal that he made so he made the deal not to die and so just like the devil twists everything he can't die gotcha music featured in this episode is shut down the party by hp and just got robbed formed by the sites 
Here's a clip. Well, I just got There was a cute reference for the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, consignment store owner. Uh, C. Ernest Harth is one of those character actors that has been in everything uh, from Capote to The 13 Ghosts to Are You Afraid of the Dark, the remake to the Van Helsing TV show to the DC Legends of Tomorrow, working with uh, my co-host, uh, other co-host Mel Heflin, ABC's The Death 2. Uh, he is one of those guys that just gets work and keeps on working, which is fantastic Amazing. for him. That's all the notes I have. That's all the notes I have as well for this episode of the Dead TV Podcast. You can find all the episodes of the Dead TV Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And you can also find us on our website and on thatradiofar at gmail.com and send us an email uh, to ask us anything or talk about any of the episodes that we have done. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at ChristySAV and at ElegantLikiki and the, the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page as well. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another exciting episode of the Dead TV Podcast here on the Radio Hard Network. Good night.